and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today, we are joined by Paul Ma, VP and Lead Portfolio Strategist, as he discusses his market thesis, including where we are in the business cycle and the growth stories in Europe, US and China. Paul says the Fed is looking a lot more relaxed and that we are reaching the peak, more or less, of the inflation story. The market looks happy and bullish, and being diversified in your opportunities should be top of mind. Paul says Japan and India are the countries he's keeping an eye on. Bringing manufacturing supply chains to India and Mexico could help our supply issues. He adds Japan is benefiting from some inflation. Paul also argues that the new emerging market is in North America, in Middle America, Canada and Mexico. We used to house manufacturers in China. Now those manufacturers are being set up closer to home. Please note this podcast was recorded as a live webcast where Paul shared charts with the advisor audience. This podcast was recorded on November 16th, 2023. I have to ask, there's been lots of data rolling out. We're referencing it there. What does it all mean? Because you always help us understand this about where we are in the business cycle. We're not in recession yet. And it's important to recognize that we've been talking about we're not in recession for two, three, two years now. And and I think a lot of people on Wall Street are saying that we're in recession. We're just, we're just not in recession. We're in late cycle still. However, Europe, they're in recession. UK, they're in recession. In fact, um, uh, Eurozone's second quarter GDP was 0%, right? That's what recession means. It means that it's, uh, it, it, the GDP is not doing well, whereas ours was 2.1% in second quarter. And the third quarter, as you know, is 4.9%. And China is, is trying to get out of that the reset, growth recession right now. And they're having a hard time with that. Do you, do you think ultimately it's a really interesting time to be diversified, actually, regionally? I mean, it provides opportunities in that sense. Yes, uh, but you got to look at countries that are uh, just be, be aware that certain countries are really hard to invest in right now. But, but certain countries like Japan, in late cycle, India, uh, Mexico, there are ones we, we really like those, right? Because we have uh, geopolitical tension where uh, you have uh, a lot of French shoring, shoring, right? Bring manufacturing supply chain to India and Mexico to supply our needs. Uh, so depend on all on China. So those two countries are benefiting from that. And, uh, you know, Japan is benefiting from some inflation. So that's really good for them. So those are great countries we like a lot for diversification. You said some countries are, are difficult to invest in. Are, are you talking about China? Is that, is that one country? Uh, that- I would say Europe and China, right? Think about okay. this. Um, I'm not sure about you guys, but I have a fixed rate mortgage, a 15 year, a 30 year fixed rate mortgage, right? And 98% of Americans have a fixed rate mortgage. We learned from our mistake back in 2008, where adjustable rate mortgage is a bad, you know, bad news for people who are, uh, when Fed raises rate, you, you got to pay a higher rate, right? So we're we, still, we, uh, we're still grappling with that in Canada. We're still trying to. Okay. I know. Out. I know. I heard, I heard about that. But yeah. in Europe, in fact, uh, 20% of all. Uh, mortgage out there were just for a mortgage. And in fact, Portugal is like 93%, Spain 75%, Italy and Greece are, are 40%. So they really have not learned on the last crisis in 2008 and really, you know, lock, lock down your, 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 your rate, right? A lot of Americans are 3%, maybe even 2%, 4%. Those are great rates to lock down in. So we're not paying high rate. But for Europe, boy, in the coming quarters, they're paying maybe double in their mortgages, right? So if that's the case, 
they can cut back on spending on um, going out to dinners or going on vacation. So Europe is in actually, you know, a bit of a tough spot right there, right? So that's that's one thing. China, I mean, President Xi went after innovators like Jack Ma, and and people just don't want to innovate there. They'll put their IP there. Jack Ma fled to Japan, and if I were an innovator, I would be like going somewhere else to innovate. And so the private, um, the rule of law sort of is, you know, it's uh, not being obeyed there. That's just one of them. And then there's a housing problem. There, a country guards defaulting on their debt. And President Xi says that, you know, houses for living, not for speculating. So, so you know, the whole point is that this, the, the, they, just, they don't want the price of house to go up. So they're in big trouble on that as well. So a lot of problems that, you know, it, it's going to be hard to um, deal with. Um, even with their stimulate, uh, stimulus, things like that, they have a hard timeline. So, yeah. so U.S. is great. India, Mexico benefiting from onshoring, friendshoring, right? And Japan's benefiting from a little bit of reinflation. So those are countries that we like a lot. Fascinating. So, so let's go in. We mentioned interest rates off the top. It's, you know, it seems to be back in as the, as the only story that counts, you know, where inflation is. We've seen data points that point to inflation is decelerating, like, properly decelerating in certain measures. It doesn't mean it won't come back, but uh, give us your thoughts on on rates, the cycle itself, what you take from some of these data points that point to some version of inflation coming off. I mean, some Absolutely. equity markets have liked it. So the key, um, I'm not sure you guys, about you guys, but uh, I'm not sure, just, um, have you guys watched the, uh, the Jackson Hole speech by uh, Federal Reserve Chairman at Jerome Powell back in August. It was must-watch TV. I was on the edge of my seat. It was really great to watch him uh, speak because, you know, the, the August before last last year, he was stern, annoyed. Uh, he was promising raise rate a lot because he was uh, behind the curve on fighting inflation. But this August, right, he was relaxed. He was uh, probably had a massage that day or something like that. It was a short speech. Yeah, it was a short speech. He said that, you know, I'm... Uh, uh, I will be data dependent, right, in raising rate. The key point here is not, oh, is it one more hike or one less hike, this and that. The key here is that we're nearing a peak in the hike. Fed has more or less defeated inflation, and they're looking relaxed. And when the Fed's relaxed, the market should be happy, right? And it's very bullish, guys. It's just uh, there's no no way around that. It's a one way. Um, Inflation, as Pamela talked about, is at around 3% now for, uh, for the headline, 3.24 for CPI, 3.4 for PCE. So they're, they're looking good and they're, they're having a touchdown dance in some way, right? This, uh, that's what's going on. So, so keep that in mind is that the Fed is actually winning against inflation and they're happy and the market should be happy. So let's bring that back, actually, just to the regional. So, I mean, you mentioned, you said the U.S. is good, but can we just expand on that? Because, again, as as a relative discussion, when you've got the Fed in the position that you just described, talk about that relative global story for the U.S., maybe. All right. So it, the question is, is for the U.S., is this time different? Right? What's mm-hmm. going on here? Right? We, we have inflation team by the Fed, but then what about the economy? We have almost everybody beginning of the year saying we, we need a we probably will be in recession right now and yeah we printed 4.9 percent GDP right what's going on here right why, why are all the consensus so wrong about this here business investment consumers consumption or employment right they go up and up and up 
until they hit recession, then they go down. Meaning that consumer go out there and uh, go to restaurants and go on vacation, spend, spend, spend until the recession hit and they cut back, right? So they're not good leading indicators of when recession is coming. However, housing and look at that, it actually comes down before recession happens. So based meaning that housing is a great leading indicator for recession uh, coming. So, but the housing right now is pretty strong with you know, uh, it, people are still a lot of pent up demand for buying houses, even the high mortgage rate. If you look at the um, new home bill in the U.S. for Toll Brothers and all these new home bills, it's up 30% year on year. So people are still wanting houses. So that is, it's really hard to have a recession without housing market, you know, uh, laying off workers, things like that. So that's, that's one thing. So we're to, to have a real recession or have a deep recession, uh, the private sector really you want to look at the balance sheet of private sector. So, for example, household credit to GDP, the two-decade average that debt to GDP is, was 85%, meaning the credit card debt, auto loans, all that, it's 85%, all right? Now, 2023 is 74%, a lot lower. So, we're, as consumers, we're actually doing much better, right? And then interest rate coverage for corporation, two-decade average, 2.9 times, meaning that they earn the money divided by interest they have to pay, now, um, it's 7.2. So corporations are earning so much money. Interest payments, not a concern. All right. And, and, and finally, we have the banks and banks, uh, their tier one ratio is the 11% for two decades. Now it's 14%, meaning that the banks are very well capitalized. And, and remember back in February, we had a Silicon Valley bank and first Republic that, that failed, but yet the big banks were all just doing just fine, right? JP Morgan, Bank of America, they're doing just fine because they're very well capitalized in supply chain. I just talked about earlier, we're diversifying from China to Mexico, India, et cetera. So, so the key theme here is what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about, about Europe because Europe, I mean, it's, it's been a fascinating story to watch. As you say, they, they sort of are in the recession on some level. Lots of people will write off Europe saying, Oh, we always think it's, it's going to come around, but, but it often doesn't. Uh, how do you look at this? Is there a stagflation case? What's the growth story there? Are they on the rise? There's a deeper issue right here. That's the geopolitics. All right. And and the thing is that uh, it, we're, it's a less and less safe world we're facing, right? And there's more wars to come. And when there's more wars, there's less trade. So people are trading less with each other. There's a China block, the U.S. block, right? So people are just trading less with each other. So countries that depend on trade would do less well than countries that don't depend on trade. Right. So which country doesn't depend on really on trade? U.S. Right. 3% of U.S. GDP is dependent on trade. Whereas Europe is all about export, 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 right? China is about export, export, export. So when there's more war, more uh, deglobalization, those are countries are, are in trouble. There's, it's not a surprise that they're, both, both of those regions are in recession because they depend on trade. And, but if you believe that the world peace is coming, right? Definitely bet on Europe, bet on China. You'll, you'll do really well, but I'm betting against world peace right here. Tell us a little bit about how much that thesis has to do with, you know, the idea of sort of self-sufficiency, but it, is it an energy insecurity story or, or is there something? Beyond that, I understand trade, but are we talking about trade of energy as in uh, Trade beyond uh, energy, right? I think um, uh, it's about Germany. They 
they realized that they should not be exporting all these great technology to China, not only for security purposes, right, but also for uh, China just copies them themselves right back. I remember I was in China uh, one year and looking at their uh, technology innovation, and then there was a, a train they were uh, they were putting together and de- you know, uh, deconstructing, and uh, it has semen, the word semen on it, and yeah. my um, my my host, uh, the Chinese host, hurriedly went over there and taped over that name, right? But what happens is that all these German technology that's exported to China, they're being, uh, you know, taken apart, sort of technologies transfer, and then they're building better trains and, and selling right back, better EV uh, um, cars and selling right back. So, so what Europe realizes that it, it's now this export strategy is not a good one. So, so as a world destabilizes and more conflict, right? There can be less and less trade, uh, and that's what's going to happen. So, so war's implication is that you want to invest in countries that are less trade sensitive, and that's the U.S. And, and North America. So, so take us to Canada and Mexico a little bit. You mentioned Mexico, Canada. We touched on the mortgage issue that that you talked about there before, but it, but it is, I mean, is it not a beneficiary of the friendshoring discussion and trend? Take us there. Yeah, I'm actually really excited about U.S. Mexico and uh, and Canada, the North America region. Why is that? Because if you think about it, a TSMC, a Taiwan Semiconductor, right? They're they're, they're worried about being invaded by China and destroy their whole world. They're putting a plant in the middle of Arizona, okay? And you have all these car companies from Europe putting plants in in Toronto, in in South Carolina, in Mexico, right? Because I will even argue that the new emerging market is North America, right here in the middle of America, Right uh, in in Canada, in Mexico, U.S. That there's a boom boom in manufacturing. We used to outsource manufacturing to China and all these places. Now we're bringing them home, right? And as war, uh, you know, uh, is on the mind of people in Taiwan or elsewhere, they want to invest their plants somewhere that is hard to be invaded, and that's North America. So do we think um, uh, the North America, Canada, uh, Mexico, U.S. are the next emerging market? So there you go. Let's explore that just a little bit more with the idea of, I mean, we don't need to go too hard into into sectors, but I, I would like to know what you think on factors. So let's, I mean, is there a way through factors to sort of arrange a strategy around that or how? how Absolutely. So uh, last two, three years, really hard to figure out, you know, should I overweight value or growth in the late cycle, in recession, you know, uh, Value outperforming in late cycle, the excess return over S&P 500. But in recession, when people start talking about recession like earlier this year, growth outperformed and value underperformed. So this going back and forth, value growth is really hard to call sometimes. But it's easier to go with minvol and quality. What does that mean? That means that uh, it's like Microsoft, uh, J.P. Morgan, Coca-Cola, this large company with great balance sheet, net cash earning 5.5%. They do really well, right? People learn about Magnificent Seven or something like that. There are large names, there are quality names that they have, that has done really well the last two, three years and, and the outperformed last year, outperformed this year. So people thinking more in terms of the factors, right? And I, I used to sort of uh, easy to remember, you know, don't go chasing waterfall, stick with the rivers and lakes you're used to to illustrate that, you know, stick with quality during late cycle recession. So that worked really well last two, three years, right? But right now, we just want to make sure that we caution people that 
uh, GDP is printing 4.9%. So what does that mean? That means that, huh, maybe a little bit, you know, if GDP is printing high again, is it time to chase waterfall again? We don't know yet, right? We got to look at the next GDP number. And this is when you start looking at this. So, so number one is that it's bullish in general by investing equity is a good thing. U.S. equity is good. India, Mexico, Japan is good, right? But then within equity, you got to think about, you know, is GDP print really strong or is it something weak? And so you start looking at numbers, right? On the October sales number, uh, for U.S. was a little bit weak. I mean, it's negative. People are pulling back and spending a bit. So things like that, you're like, huh, oh, maybe if you stick to rivers and lake we're used to still, but then the GP prints high again, maybe it's time to take some risk. What's risk? Small cap, right? More volatile names, things like that. Uh, but we're not, I'm, I'm, we're on the border right there. So we did really well two, three years, but we're on the, the, the sort of a juncture where we take some more risk right now. It's really interesting to hear, yeah, your thoughts on that because, you know, it's, it's easy to read the euphoria in, in certain different ways. So it's wonderful to, to kind of get how you ultimately look at that. What, what would you like to leave investors with in terms of kind of a message overall? Established yeah. with? Uh, I always believe in, uh, keep it simple, right? Help, um, advisors should help their investor stick to their long-term plan and rebalance to that. All right. So that's what we always believe in. And what does that mean? That means that, um, rebalance means that, let, let's say beginning, uh, beginning, uh, um, let's say start up on 2020. Okay. 2020 in January, um, uh, well, rebalancing to long-term horizon, which is your 60, 40, 80, 20 stop on portfolio you built, right? Um, rebalancing to it means that, uh, in January 2020, before the COVID, uh, your 60, 40 looked like 65, 35 because you had a, 32% rally in the stock market in 2019. So rebalance means that selling the winner, the stocks, buying the loser bonds in January 2020. In April 2020, when 60-40 looks more like 50-50, rebalance, you're going to buy the loser this time stocks and sell the winner this time bonds to get back to 60-40, right? In 2021, when growth had a great rally versus value in 2020, to rebalance, you got to sell the winner growth and buy the loser value. And at the time, a lot of people, buyers are telling me that don't do that, Paul. I, I, I growth will outperform forever. Well, you know, that should not be a right call again. And beginning of this year, what does rebalancing mean? You look for the biggest loser. Anybody watch that show? It was a great show. But anyway, biggest loser, right? Who's was the biggest loser? It was uh, a large cap growth. That means buy large cap growth and sell the, the, the winner from last year, which was commodities, right? That's what rebalancing means. So, that you did that trade back in the beginning of the year rebalancing, you would have done really well this year. So, so stick to that sort of a rebalancing to your strategic allocation and do the opposite of what people tell you on TV, right? People were so big on recession beginning this year, those fools on TV. My goodness, right? Uh, and look at that 4.9% print. It's, it's really, uh, it's just, uh, it's opposite of recession. Let's put it that way. So, I always so be aware to take of, that, not personally, but it's hard. Yeah, but no, I, I, hard, get, yeah. I get that. So, so be aware of what, what you hear all these uh, experts on TV. They just do the basic rebalancing to, of your portfolio, which means that do the opposite of what's on TV, really. Right. Okay. So that's that's your contrarian move to an extent. Yeah. Is there I'm a, anything? I'm well aware. I'm on TV myself, but you know, so you can know everything I say. Just rebalance. All right. <laughs> when you just we just have a couple of minutes, but 
you have actually a really interesting slide on on Paul Volcker, who who's no longer with us. But but there's some real precedent in sort of looking at the interest rate story through um, some of the lessons that that we got from him. What what did you want to say on that? Just as we close, the important lesson here is that uh, during the speech by Jerome Powell, he reminds us he wants to be Paul Volcker, right? And Paul Volcker was the chairman of the Federal Reserve in the U.S. The Paul Volcker first year he was the chairman of the Fed. He jacked up the Fed funds rate all the way to 11%. Oh my goodness, we're only at 5.5% or so right now. 11% is double that, right? Based on people on TV, my goodness, stock market must be with the gone down a lot. But how much did the stock market go down that year, 1979? 1979, stock market was up 12%. Huh, interesting. Opposite of what people tell you on TV. Because the next year, Paul Volcker jacked rates 1980 to 14%. Holy cow. Based on people on TV, stock market must be a stock market apocalypse. So how much did stock market go down that year? It went up 25%. So the, the narrative on TV where people say that if only Fed cuts rate, right? Stock market rally. It's a false narrative. Actually, it's good that the Paul Volcker keep it rate, rate high, right? And, and that's what Jerome Powell wants to do is higher for longer. That is why it's good for the market. It's very bullish. In fact, see what the impact of uh, cutting rate looks like. So before Paul Volcker, we have Arthur Byrne. He was the Fed chairman in the 1970s, right? Mm -hmm. And look at those that fund rate in the 70s went up and down, up and down, right? Raise, cut, raise, cut. It, he, he was known as the yo-yo chairman, all right? And look at the S&P 500. You got some big red drawdowns there. Holy cow. It, it, that's what happened in the stock market because market wants a Fed chairman who's serious about their mandate, which is fighting inflation, right? So when inflation is coming down right now and the Fed stubbornly keeps at 5.5%, that is good. If they start cutting rates, I would not like it. Right? If inflation goes back again, that would be bad news like in the 70s. So, so right now, I just want you to you know, do the opposite of people telling on TV, which is, oh, if they only cut rate, that'd be great. No, no, no. Higher for longer is good. Okay, brilliant. We'll leave it on that. that oh, no, it is fantastic to get your views. And we very grateful for your time. So thank you very, very much and, and, and wish you all the best. Thank you very much, Pamela. Always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. I'm Pamela Ritchie. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. 
Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments.